I found this awesome podcast done by the Happiness Lab. She had Catherine Price, who's the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, on and talked about sort of good screens and bad screens. And that especially in our current climate, so to speak, or environment, that we want to be deliberate about how we use our screens to go, am I using it for connection? Or, you know, am I on social media or just sort of mindless scrolling? And it isn't actually helping me to be a better version of myself, nor manage my stress. It's literally amplifying it because I'm looking at what everybody else is doing and then starting the whole comparison game. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, honestly. It really is that uh, we're just so connected. And, you know, when we find more things to get uh, that are interesting, we can get sort of lost in that. And we get kind of disconnected from the, what am I optimizing for? Well, if I'm optimizing for good sleep patterns, taking that phone to me doesn't help me enable that. Yeah. Because it, it can be, not every single time, can be a distraction. And, you know, we're more connected before than we ever have been before, which has, you know, good and bad sides to being hyper-connected as, an, as a society. But it's not really natural for us to be in this high-paced, always-on society. And when we take our phones with us, we take that always-on society with us, or at least the temptation to dip our toes into that water. And the more we get exposed to, the more we want to do. And the more we do, the more we burn out. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today because I think it's just so applicable to each and every one of us. I was doing some research around this topic of stress, and I found a really interesting quote. This was done by Nancy Sin, who is an assistant professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia. And she said that in stressful situations like this, like a pandemic, there are physiological responses in our bodies. Our stress hormones increase. We prepare to fight or flee, she says. And as this pandemic continues and isolation drags on, we're having a lot of these physiological adaptations each time we feel stressed, each time we feel worried. And over time, these repeated hits physiologically and psychologically can accumulate. She goes on to say, And I quote, you need a lot of physical energy for your cognitive work. We're doing so much worrying and rumination. There's a lot that's going on that's kind of sucking up our energy. And I just think, yes. Yeah. Well, we have this thing around here. It's it's Thursday again. (laughs) Right? Because for some reason, like the time moves by fast. And for some reason, it's always Thursday. I feel like it's like Groundhog Day in, in some case. But like... 
it's Thursday again so fast. And it's this aspect of just time moving on so fast and the, the same things happening each day, energy getting sucked up. And, you know, not that we have a, a ton so much to stress out about because things are sort of leveling out, but there's still a lot of life that's changed. You know, we're still isolated. We're still disconnected from a lot of the different things we're doing. You know, I had realized a month or two after we were scheduled to take our vacation that, oh, hey, we didn't take vacation this year. So maybe that's why, you know, I'm still a little, I'm, I'm getting burnt, you know, in terms of like, what what happened? Where did summer go? Like I feel like it's still March. Yeah. Like even when I look at the calendar, I'm like August. I get pissed off. Like what? How did that happen? Right. Because I feel like it's just moved by so fast. And what happens is we get stressed out. And you know this very well, Mario. Stress. And I hate to be like this, but stress kills. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It has so many negative effects on our mind, on our body our relationships and you know part of today's conversation is just to examine the impact of stress particularly on our energy which leads us to be our best selves as we say we want people to be on this show and to live lives that are full and enjoyable yeah exactly you know it's interesting because I mean I can totally relate like I (laughs) very recently you know woke up and for like a good portion of the day I seriously kept thinking it was a different day (laughs) (laughs) And I had to keep reorienting around like, no, that's not yet. But it's in part because we've lost the sort of structure and consistency, you know, that we had, right? Like I don't go to my office in the way in which I once did. You know, I don't have the same sort of markers or cues amidst my week that help me sort of, you know, sort of provide an external structure that supports my internal structure. And so, you know, that's really at the heart of what we're talking about today is really this interplay between what's going on outside of us and how that affects what's going on inside of us. And then the choice that we make in response to that Mm -hmm. sort of hybrid. Yeah. I I like that aspect too, because, you know, in the tech world, there's conferences all the time. And so for me, I'm more on the fact that we didn't get to do OSCON this year. It's a big conference for us as Change all media doing that. But then it's also time for Jared and I to get to reconnect and hang out together because, hey, we're not in the same place every single day. And we do rely upon others' energy or each other's energy to get pumped up about what we're doing. And so we kind of, not that we're lacking, but, you know, we miss those moments. Those are things that we, that we mourn. They're like, wow, we, and then you multiply that by other people that are like, well, my community isn't always near me. Like some of my community lives in London. Yeah. You know, across the pond, as we say. You know? <laughs> some of my community lives in Japan, maybe even, or South America. You know, so you just you miss out on those connections. Yes. Yes. And so a couple things to help establish the framework as we talk today is that both behavior and cognition, or both behavior and what we think, play a role in determining what we find stressful. And that as individuals, we're varied, but there's three principal ways in which how we respond to potentially stressful situations, okay? And the first has to do with how we interpret something, you know? What comes to mind is public speaking, right? Like, it's like one of the top three fears (laughs) that people have, right? Well, not everybody, especially people who are seasoned speakers, 
have the same perception of threat, whereas someone else could be like, you want me to do what? Like, <laughs> no, no, we don't do like that, right? You're the wrong guy. <laughs> totally. And so if I perceive a situation as threatening, then my brain is going to initiate behaviors that avoid the threat or alternatively, it can produce behaviors that can increase danger. I mean, sort of like, you know, I can't stop. Like I've started this ball in motion and it's like you can see the accident just unfolding before your eyes, right? And so that is really significant because not everybody sees the same things as, you know, stressful. Mm -hmm. Secondly, involves the condition of our bodies. People, generally speaking, those who are in good physical condition handle strenuous exercise far better than those not in shape, right? Thus, you know, our behaviors around exercise are important because exercise can have this sort of rapid effect to increase muscle glucose utilization. Like how does our body respond to glucose? And that these imbalances that can lead to obesity and diabetes can increase the vulnerability of an individual to stress, which, of course, as we've talked about in other shows, also has or can have mm -hmm. a genetic component, right? Right, right. So the sum of that is our bodies are different, but, you know, the behaviors we engage in, you know, and the what's going on internally make a difference in terms of how we respond externally, elaborating on that or sort of adding additional, additional clarification than certain personal behaviors, right? Like what's my diet? What do I eat like? Do I smoke? How much alcohol do I consume are also likely to be altered by stress because they're helpful with coping, right? So if I go to pick up a beer as opposed to going outside for a walk or doing some meditation, that's going to have an impact on my body's response to stress. Mm -hmm. No surprise. <laughs> well, yeah, it would make sense to do that. But it's definitely around choices. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, if you're stressed, move a little or find a way. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, exercise freak, you know. Right. Or, or in, like you don't have to be crazy about going to the gym or I guess your home gym now, what they call pain caves. I don't know if you've heard of this, Mario. Pain, pain caves. caves. I love yeah, it. <laughs> you make them in your houses. They're not men or women caves. They're pain caves or they're not theater caves or hangout <laughs> caves. They're, they're pain caves. It's where you go to impact pain. But it takes a specific choice to do that as opposed to say the easy button, which might be like go to the store or call up Uber Eats or, you know, something else that delivers it to you and brings you those beers or those wines. Or the chips. And consume. Right. Or the chips. Or the pizza, you name it. Correct. So let me caveat that. There's nothing wrong with that for a time. Like if you need to do that, I mean, I, you can probably disagree with me if you want, but I think for a time that might be okay, but that's not a forever thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a long-term coping mechanism that's, that's healthy. Yeah. So maybe for a moment that's okay. Right. But get up. Get up and move. And so that's why this is really important because we're talking about stress that can be sort of situationally based. That's like, oh, there's a surge or a crescendo and then a decrescendo. Or there's stress that's prolonged, repeated, that results in a sort of chronic stress or strain on our brains and our bodies. And so this is at the heart of it. Our behavioral responses to challenge can lead to either protective factors or damaging effects 
in the form of what we're going to talk about more, which is called allostatic load. Are you familiar with that? Have you heard of that term? I have not. Yeah, I I love it. I geek out hard with this because I discovered this a couple of years ago when I was reading why zebras don't get ulcers. Sounds good, huh? Yeah, I wonder why. (laughs) And so what they talk about is differentiating sort of homeostasis from allostasis. And so homeostasis defined is the stability of our physiological systems that maintain life, right? So pH, body temperature, glucose, and oxygen levels, like those are sort of, there's a narrow range of their sort of respective set points, right? So like when an animal encounters a stressful situation, it will sort of surge in response, like the body will produce cortisol, adrenaline, adapt, and then it'll return to that baseline. Allostasis is totally different. This is really what's at the heart of stress for humans and that stability is achieved through change. So the mediators of allostasis include, but are not totally limited to, hormones of the HPA axis, which I think we've talked about in some prior episodes. But HPA stands for hypopituitary adrenal. Say that a lot fast. Um, But it's involved with sort of emotional regulation and reactivity, as well as there's catecholamines and um, cytokines. Okay? And so it distinguishes sort of homeostasis from those essential for life systems and those that maintain these systems in balance, okay? And so what happens in allostasis is there can be an excessive production of some of these things or an inadequate production of others. So it's how our bodies mediate aspects of adrenaline, cortisol, and other chemical messengers. Mm. It could either be really good at it or really bad at it. Right. So high or low. Right. And a better version of that would be homeostasis, which everything is just equaled out, normalized all the time. Right. And so just like you were talking about, Adam, and saying some of these things aren't bad, we're not calling these out and saying they're bad. However, what happens is our body reacts to some of the overactivity that prolonged sort of choices can impact and that contributes to diseases. And, and I would say, first, it contributes to inflammation and then disease activity, which is not what any of us want, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're, we're talking about this, that's why things like exercise and diet and sleep and relationships, you know, and how we think can make a significant difference in terms of how we respond to things. Yeah. Well, I think if you got a manage traffic or input output, right? Like we're, we're humans, we're, we're individual bodies with brains, we're, we're physical beings, you know, we require food, we require oxygen even. So I think about all the ways that things from the outside of my body enter in to fuel me. So it's relationships, that's an entrance of, you know, psychological entrance. You know, you got air that comes in through your lungs, that makes sense. So what's the quality of all these things? And so when we say be your own scientist, examine these inputs and then how that impacts your output, which is who you are and how you are and what you do and what you give to the world. And if you examine like the quality of your food, the quality of your air, the quality of relationships, then these things, you know, they all kind of impact, you know, this allostasis, homeostasis, like it's going to enable or disable those things. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking about some different, you know, more sciencey 
terms, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, to help you guys sort of understand a little bit more of what happens. And so one of the things is glucocorticoids. And these are named that for their ability to promote the sort of conversion of proteins and fats to usable carbohydrates. And so they're super adaptive or help us by replenishing the energy reserves after a period of activity, like running from a predator, right? But they also act on the brain to increase appetite for food and increase locomotor activity so that it can regulate more of our energy input and expenditure. So like you were mentioning, Adam, with the sort of choices we make, it's it's super helpful if I'm trying to run a few miles, but not as helpful if I'm trying to grab, you know, box of Oreos or, you know, while I'm trying to write or do some work, right? That inactivity or lack of energy expenditure creates the situation where these chronically elevated glucocorticoids can impede the action of insulin to promote glucose uptake. So it's sort of like I've got too much of this thing and I'm not expending it or putting it in a way that actually helps my brain and body defrag. So it's too much fuel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so interestingly enough, one of the results of this interaction is that insulin levels increase. And so together, insulin with glutocorticoid elevation promote the deposition of body fat. And that combination promotes the forming of, you know, the plaques in our coronary arteries. Mm-hmm. Well, and weight gain is is uh, directly linked to insulin levels. So insulin levels spike, mm-hmm. fat deposits, you know, obesity, weight, all that is related to high insulin levels and spikes. Right. This is why I'm, I'm sure you've heard it said or like people comment about sort of like trying to manage their weight or lose weight, but they've got a lot of stress going on and mm-hmm. they really struggle to lose weight. Well, this is why. <laughs> Because it's sort of like stuck and your brain and your body is repeating this cycle, sort of like, you know, a song on repeat. And there isn't a hiccup to reset it and tame it back. Mm -hmm. When we look at this a little bit further or broader, we can talk about allostasis in the brain. And so that involves the secretion of adrenaline and cortisol you know, in response to a stressful event and promotes memory consolidation so that you stay out of trouble, right? We've talked about this with learning. Like the higher the emotional intensity of something, my brain tends to vacuum seal it so that I learn, like, don't touch the hot stove, Marielle. Like, right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But now moving to where it's maladaptive is when the stress is continued over, you know, significant period of time, Our neurons can atrophy, which impairs our memory, whereas other neurons grow, which tends to enhance fear. Not what we want, right? And I think that's what, like, you know, a lot of people are struggling with right now of going, you know, there's so much uncertainty. You know, we don't have our connections, relationships. We don't have the structures that we did have in terms of our routines or daily responsibility. And so it just can feel a lot more threatening, period. Yeah. Not to mention, though, that whenever something does happen, it can be small or large in terms of like, say, you know, 
you can stub your toe. It's like, oh, I gotta go to hospital. So now things are like super, like people tend to avoid or want to avoid hospitals because, hey, you're exposed to more people. So even little events kind of get blown out of proportion because everything, like because the stress levels is like kind of kind of compounding problems. Like small problems become bigger problems because it's sort of compound fear, so to speak. Yeah. And like we've talked about sort of the memory system with our brain, with the amygdala and the hippocampus, right? So our hippocampus is responsible for memory. Amygdala is part of our emotional seat of our brain, right? And what happens is that our brains actually sort of, we can have overactivity with those adrenals and shut off our stress response to sort of bring us back down. And then there happens to be this atrophy of certain neurons in the hippocampus, which shuts down our brain's ability to sort of regenerate. And Mm. the scary part that I found is, you know, some of this atrophy in our hippocampus can actually be picked up on MRIs. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, this is why, like, being in charge of what we think and being deliberate about what we focus on is so, so, so important because look, to some degree, I mean, I'm not in charge of a fair amount of things in life, but what I am in charge of is my response to it. And so, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty across the world in different ways and people are facing different stressors for sure. But going, what is my response to that going to be? Am I going to focus on the sky is falling. I don't have any structure. I don't have any support. Like what next ball is going to drop? Or am I going to go, what am I in charge of today? What things can I do to move the needle one degree in the direction that I want to go? That is the difference with sort of changing our brain and going, what's going to help me sort of defrag, you know, get rid of this sort of underlying stress so that I can do something more beneficial for my brain and my mm-hmm. body. And in particular to energy and like stress that relates to your energy, getting to that root cause is, is sort of the key because for some, like if you identify what that root cause might be, that's sort of causing you stress or draining you of your energy. Like I have my own example, which I can share, but like once you find that root cause that's stressing you out or making you think in sort of these non-normal ways of your new, your typical normal ways of thinking is like, once you kind of unlock that, everything else is more clear. So for me, for example, I get stressed out, you know, just start thinking differently, I would say, based upon my diet, my diet, my sleep, the way I think, obviously things we're talking about here, but like diet for me is, is huge, like cutting out sugars, cutting out gluten, those things alone. And then they just sort of like timing when I eat, they call it intermittent fasting. You may have heard it. Essentially, it's just like determining when you eat. It's not so much starving yourself, which some people might say. It's just more like, I don't eat past 7 p.m. I generally skip breakfast. I eat, you know, a light lunch and dinner like normal. But then I also manage what goes in. So I'm cutting out all the sugars that might be in there. Those things, that alone for me is my root cause, for example, of recent stress or things that sort of got me off my normal kilter. So once I understood that and kind of figure that out, I was able to get back into sort of a typical Adam, normal Adam, great attitude, all this good stuff, energy. And whereas before I was lower energy and like just, you know, just 
down and out and not happy as as much as I had been, you know, in prior months or weeks. And so root cause is kind of important. Whatever your root cause might be different for you. It might be a relationship. It might be an environment. It might be intake of certain things. But for me, it's I got to have those things in place and everything else will, will begin to fall into place because I can have a far more clear mind to attack the world. Yeah, it's so interesting how the way in which we process information changes when we're stressed versus not. I mean, I can remember, too, times where just so many different things coming at me. And a seemingly, you know, I thought some task felt like really hard or overwhelming, like, gosh, I just don't have time to get to that. Whereas once I was a little calmer and sort of had some space to sit down and focus on it, I was like, oh my word, (laughs) this was so simple. So it's further helped me learn myself to go when I'm evaluating something as that, it's a huge like light bulb for me. That's like, Marielle, you you need to go do something to sort of calm down and sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, exchange this energy because you'll be able to come back and process that once you do, right? Like we talked about, you know, in the episode on step away to get unstuck, and how it seems counterintuitive to be like, I'm going to walk away from this problem. But part of managing stress is going like my brain can't take in more information in that way at this moment. So what other things can I do to sort of buffer it or, or you know, alleviate the load? Right. Well, in some cases, too, it's a detox of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Like strip out, you know, the things that are sort of like inhibiting you and, and just defer them even for a week or two weeks some sort of period of time so that you can have a reset. And this is part of that whole be your own scientist idea is like, this gives you a chance to experiment. Yeah. Detox from the thing. So it might be detox from social media. I hate to keep saying that because like that, I feel like that's like the easy button to push when it's like, what do you detox from? But like I did this recently. I detox from like in the nighttime. So when I went to bed, I used to take just my phone to, to bed with me and I stopped. I only took a device that had audible and calm on it. And that was it. And an alarm. And so instead of having the ability to go on YouTube or get lost in email or get stressed about other things will just distract me, I detox from this one thing that helped me to sort of refocus on, okay, get good sleep, get to sleep on time, get to sleep, you know, in healthy ways, et cetera. So that was my sort of detox. You know, it's so interesting you mentioned that because I found this awesome podcast done by the Happiness Lab. She had Catherine Price, who's the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, on and talked about sort of good screens and bad screens. And that especially in our current climate, so to speak, or environment, that we want to be deliberate about how we use our screens to go, am I using it for connection? Or, you know, am I on social media or just sort of mindless scrolling? And it isn't actually helping me to be a better version of myself, nor manage my stress. It's literally amplifying it because I'm looking at what everybody else is doing and then starting the whole comparison game. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, honestly, it really is that, uh, we're just so connected. And, you know, when we find more things to get, uh, that are interesting, we can get sort of lost in that and we get kind of disconnected from the, what am I optimizing for? Well, if I'm optimizing for, good sleep patterns, taking that phone to me doesn't help me enable that because it it can be, not every single time, can be a distraction. And, you know, we're more connected before than we ever have been before, which has, you know, good and bad sides to being hyper-connected as as a society. 
But it's not really natural for us to be in this high-paced, always-on society. And when we take our phones with us, we take that always-on society with us, or at least the temptation to dip our toes into that water. And the more we get exposed to, the more we want to do. And the more we do, the more we burn out. And that is an enabler. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it's so important too, like just a reminder as we talk today, like some of the deleterious effects we're talking about of that can occur are prolonged and severe. Like mm-hmm. just because you do some of these things some of the time, like, you know, don't panic. Like there's always an opportunity for change. And really it it involves a sort of self-assessment, like where am I at? Um, and so we'll talk about that later in the show, but I want to talk about some of the impact on our immune system, which is kind of important, right? That acute stress, you know, severe stress promotes immune function by enhancing the movement of immune cells to places in the body that where it's needed to defend against a pathogen, okay? So it's like, yay, I got all my warriors come into play and they're going to save me, <laughs> right? Right. But chronic stress uses that same hormonal mediators to suppress the immune function. So it's sort of like it doesn't let my warriors out to defend what's going on in my body. Because you're always in defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, I mean, they're just worn out. Like it, it can't mediate. It can't do anything to support in the same sort of way, which is why going sleep makes such a difference. Foods make a difference. And why we're we're always sort of talking about the role of inflammation. You know, one of the things that I found is super interesting because I've looked a lot more at social relationships and loneliness given, you know, this pandemic life. And there's an interesting study done by Stephen Cole, who's a doctor and a professor of medicine at the University of UCLA, well, UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles. And he did a study back in 2015 that provided more clues around sort of why loneliness can actually harm our overall health. And so what they looked at, he and his colleagues looked at gene expressions in leukocytes, which white blood cells that play key roles in the immune system's response to infection. And they found that these leukocytes of lonely participants, both humans and this other species, um, showed an increased expression of genes involved in inflammation and a decreased expression of genes involved in antiviral responses. Genes, people, genes, like Mm. building blocks of our body. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. So loneliness can make you inflamed and decrease the expression of genes that involve essentially being equipped in a time like we're in. Yeah. Yep. Antiviral. Yeah, exactly. And so this is why, like, I think it's so important to go, one of the ways in which we moderate stress is with people, so, right? Like, you need people, but you can't be beside people, but you need people. Yeah, that's so crucial. It is. Find people. <laughs> Find the right people. Well, precisely, precisely, because, you know, again, we tend to you know, listen to the people that we spend the most time amount of time with. We tend to think similarly. We tend to make similar choices. I mean, I think about friends all the time are like, have you been here? Did you see this? Did you get that, you know, product? <laughs> right? I mean, it's like my friends are like walking, it, walking marketing machines for my yeah. life. 
Well, they have a lot of input, that's for sure. And they always say that, uh, man, somebody's going to correct me on this this saying, but it, it's essentially, you know, your friends influence who you are. So if you hang out with, you know, I hate to say this like this, but losers, you know, if you hang out with people that are don't have the same aspirations and ambition that you do, mm-hmm. you know, if they have lesser than that or not a, in alignment, then you're probably going to mimic them. Mm-hmm. But if you're around people who are high achievers, you know, have ambition, they're trying to, you know, lead a good life or have a good family or, you know, build a great career or whatever might be important to them that's similar to to you, then you're going to emulate those you're around. Yes. There is a saying that that sort of condenses what I just said, though, much more concisely. And if you know that, put in the comments because I want to know it because I forget it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, We've talked about sort of the brain, body, the cardiovascular, well, the immune system, but I want to talk about the impact of stress on our cardiovascular health, right? So getting up in the morning requires this increase in blood pressure and reapportioning sort of the blood flow in our body so that we can stand up without fainting. Kind of important, I would say. Yeah, I don't want to (laughs) faint when I stand up. I want to stand up like a normal person. Right, And so blood pressure rises and falls throughout the day as dependent upon physical and emotional demands and the changes so that we get blood flow according to what our brains and our bodies need, right? Is that why my my Apple Watch tells me to stand so often because I need to stand so often? We have these stand goals 12 times a day or more if you you have the normal goal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we need blood flow. To, to move all the way, right? And if you're sitting in one position, it's just more, you know, sedentary. Like, so right. that you don't get the sort of hiccup or, you know, flow throughout the body. Well, your your heart is a muscle, too, so you need to work it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we can have the damage of the sort of in our plaques again. So when we have continued elevation, right? High blood pressure. It builds up plaque and then it can damage the artery walls of our heart, which if you're not familiar, I mean, right? You want flow to be able to go through the entirety of the arteries. You don't want them to shrink in size because plaque builds up and obstructs flow, right? And you don't want such high pressure that you burst them, which (laughs) is a stroke, right? Yep. Yep. Or something like that. Like that it mainly that happens in the brain. Strokes are in the brain, right? Right. Yep. Otherwise they're not strokes if they're <laughs> elsewhere in the body. Yep. Strokes are brain. Can. Yep. And then heart attack is heart with is related to blood flow. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So and then we talk about metabolism, right? So metabolism is our body's way that it sort of uses um and allocates energy, right? So it's really involved. In terms of very deep, yeah, yes, like our appetite for food, the movement we do, sports activities, you name it. Also, cognitive activities too, right? So, inactivity. This was super interesting. Inactivity and the lack of energy expenditure create a situation where chronic elevation of these glucocorticoids, resulting from poor sleep. Ongoing stress or side effects of a rich diet can impede the action of insulin to promote glucose uptake. And so it doesn't matter whether it's psychological stress or sleep deprivation or your diet, 
that's increasing those glucocorticoids, the consequences in terms of the allostatic load on our body are identical, which looks like insulin resistance and increased risk for heart disease. Insulin resistance is diabetes Mm -hmm. and cardiovascular diseases, you know, we just talked about it. If your heart doesn't work, if it can't pump the blood properly, mm-hmm. if you have a dis-ease in your cardiovascular system, then you can't pump the blood properly. Whether it's healthy blood or not, it's just, it's not going to, your body's not going to operate like it is right now. Right. If you're healthy. Right. So we have to learn how to manage our stress That at the end of the day. Like, and it, I mean, I don't need it to get to be prolonged. I just have to be cognizant of like, hey, I'm feeling a little stressed. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Oh, you know, this has been a long run of multiple stressors. What am I doing to sort of barter Mm -hmm. that or buffer it? One of the things that stands out, like I mentioned earlier, is uh, social isolation. And there is a study done back in 2018, sorry, by Cigna, and that indicated that loneliness levels had reached an all-time high. 40% of the survey participants reported that they sometimes or always feel that the relationships are not meaningful and that they feel isolated. This is pre-pandemic, people. Like, that's a lot. And so there was a meta-analysis that was co-authored by Julianne Holt-Lundstad, who is the professor of psychology and neuroscience at BYU, noted that the lack of social connection heightens health risks Oh, gosh. You ready for this, Adam? Uh, I'm, I'm holding on. <laughs> right? As much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having alcohol use disorder. And that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to our physical and mental health as obesity. This was published back in 2015 in the Perspectives on Psychological Science. Like, Wow. Wow. So when I first read that, obviously smoking 15 packs of cigarettes or 15 cigarettes a day, not 15 packs. Yeah, 15 (laughs) cigarettes, individual cigarettes, not packs a day. Well, that has an impact on my lungs. I took that literally when I first read it and I kind of scoffed. But then I obviously went a little deeper and thought, okay, that's clearly harmful, right? Yeah. How would they compare it to cigarettes, do you think? Because it's just really bad for you or the way it makes you breathe or the amount of stress it puts on your body because of the inability to process oxygen well? Yeah. Well, I think what they're getting at is just the deleterious effects. Like, hey, this is so significant. We know, right, that smoking isn't good for us. It's not like, well, it's okay. You can just have a few. Like, no, it's never really good for our lungs. Mm -hmm. And so to help people understand, like, loneliness and the lack of sort of meaningful relationships also affects our health. And I've been talking with people a lot about this, especially during the pandemic and figuring out ways that we can have engagement with other people, even if it might not be live, right? Like in person, how do I still have my community of people, so to speak? Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. Well, community is really a a key thing there. And I think that's what we try to do with this show and change at large is like, is foster this network of community, this people group that can be both curious and adventurous in terms of like what they pursue in their life with technology. We obviously cover lots of different stuff, but the the key component there is community. And like, gosh, there's times I'm like, I'm so thankful for the community we have. And if it wasn't there on the daily, I would feel disconnected. I would feel lonely. 
Yep. And so there was another study done that was published in the journal called Heart back in 2016. The study was done by Newcastle University epidemiologist Nicole Valtorta, and she linked loneliness to a 30% increase in risk of stroke or the development of coronary heart disease. Mm, so that, that's not an association. Yeah, it, it increases your risk. Well, like the prior research was an association, like it's like mm-hmm. doing this, whereas mm-hmm. this causes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, now she also goes on to say that a lonely person's um, higher risk of ill health is likely from a hybrid of factors, including behavior, biology, and their sort of psychological mindset. Like, right? Mm-hmm. And and generally speaking, that's most often what's at play. It's not one. It's like, let's look at the combination of things that we're doing that get you to this, you know, negative outcome. Right. So social isolation, not so hot, adds to stress. And guess what else does? Uncertainty. I'm sure mm. nobody's got uncertainty. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so the senior directive director of practice research and policy at the American Psychological Association, Lynn Bufka, stated that, and I quote, uncertainty is one of the biggest elements that contributes to our experience of stress. Right? Part of what we try to do to function our, in our society is to have some structure some predictability. When we have those kinds of things, life feels more manageable because you don't have to put the energy into figuring those things out. Yeah. It's like if every day you start out at zero yeah, in terms of like things figured out, you know, whereas, you know, if certainty gives you maybe 10 points on the scale, yeah, 20 points on the scale, whereas you're not starting at zero every single day. Like there is some knowns that's you kind of sort of wake up to knowing they're going to be there and and in the climate like it is in many ways like the entire world seems to be in a state of flux i, th- I think it's always been there maybe this goes back to the the hyperconnectedness where you know one part of stress too can be the fact that we're just every day we're bombarded with bad news yeah right? the the stream of bad news doesn't end yeah and so back to what you've said before in terms of advice it's the choices you make, how you cope, mm-hmm. right? You can choose to listen to that. That doesn't mean be, you know, that doesn't mean turn a bl- blind ear and, and you're not going to listen to it or be aware that there is bad news out there. It's just more like how much of it are you intaking and allowing to change how you feel and how you cope and how you direct your life? Because some of those things are bad news that apply to you. Mm-hmm. Some of those things are bad news that don't apply to you at all, but you let impact you your mood, your stress, how you even handle your relationships. Yeah. That single day. Yep. Yeah. And so you're like, great, Marielle, now that you've like scared me more and added to my stress, right. <laughs> what what do I do? Right? Because we never want to leave you like, and that's it. Too bad. So sad. <laughs> Th- these are the truths. Um, deal with it. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. No. And so going back to where we started about sort of what is one of the most significant things relative to stress is our perception of what we believe to be threatening. So you got to start with being aware of what you think, right? There is a team of researchers that was led by Christopher Massey, a doctor out of the University of Chicago, that 
addressed that interventions or sort of noted that interventions that focus more inward and address the negative thoughts underlying loneliness in the first place can help to combat loneliness more than those designed to improve social skills, enhance social support, or increase opportunities for social interactions. So the meta-analysis reviewed 20 randomized trials of interventions to decrease loneliness in kids, adolescents, and adults. And that really sort of what we talk about in my field called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is focused on addressing maladaptive social thoughts, worked best because it helped people realize and navigate their negative thoughts about their self-worth or how others perceive them. And this is at the heart of it. Like, how do I perceive how I'm doing? What is stressful? And what do I think people are thinking about me that doesn't actually help me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because going, you know, if I think that I'm going to be overwhelmed or like I wake up and I'm like, man, today is going to stink. It's going to be overwhelming or so-and-so is going to be upset with me because I didn't get this project done or I dropped this ball or my goodness, I didn't sleep and I'm on my, you know, fourth cup of coffee, (laughs) right? I want to start to go like, what am I thinking about? Where am I spending my time? And sort of what is the environment that my thoughts are, you know, providing? Like, just like soil, right? I don't want to plant things that are in really, like, I don't plant things in rocks. Usually it doesn't grow very good. No, you need nutritious soil. Exactly. So our thoughts, ironically, are the soil that we live in. So can you be reflective around the thoughts that you're thinking and the way in which you talk to yourself? Because it matters. It really matters. One of the things I'm so thankful for with technology is that there are other resources. I like to think of even sort of our phones like our external brains at times. It's been super helpful for people with, you know, disorders such as ADHD, but also individuals with brain injury. And then just for reminders or sort of access because, right, like we talked about stress affecting our memory and sort of how we process data. If I've got it somewhere, I can just reference it. And so I was super excited to find that the National Center for PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder actually created an app called the COVID Coach. Woohoo! Right? We all need a coach. We do, we do. And so this is super interesting because it's got different aspects relative to managing stress, ways you can learn. Can you do a mood check? or finding resources. And so it'll take you through different steps, but it's really cool to just sort of have access to something else that helps you do you better given the context of COVID. What are some of the things that ask you? Well, so if I'm going how, I click on managing stress and it says coping with stress. It'll say for this exercise, find a comfortable and quiet place to sit where you are unlikely to be disturbed. And please note that there will be pauses in the audio so you can practice without distraction. And it tells you it's going to last about 16 minutes. And it takes you through a whole body scan of evaluating what's going on. It also talks about, okay, navigating relationships. And it has watch funny videos (laughs) or (laughs) watch past sports highlights on TV or online. I love this. Write a poem or a story. Oprah's tip, Oprah.com has tips that can get you started and it provides you the link. How awesome is that? Nice. I love this. Adam, (laughs) 
how did we know you were going to be doing this today? Put on your favorite shirt to feel good. Oh, yes. I have my super dad shirt on. Right? So I am a super dad. Yes. And then it has about sleep, sleep struggles. So you're going to be led through a relaxation exercise focused on visualizing something pleasant. And it tells you it'll take you four minutes and walks you through. It also has checks like do a mood check. Do you want to track well-being, track your mood for learning? Like, how do I stay healthy? Like hand wash like a pro. Oh, I love this. Do the five. Hands, wash them often. Elbow, cough into it. Face, don't touch it. Space, keep a safe difference. And home, stay if you can. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. But I think it's really helpful for people to have resources. And I forget which application, if it's Headspace or mindfulness, one of those. I want to say that they're offering it free. So I'll double check that and, and put it in our show notes so that you guys have access. But Other resources that help us even with our thinking and then also link it with behaviors we can do is fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one thing you mentioned in that list there, which I thought was interesting and something we could probably dive into deeper some of the time is laughter. Yeah. How well we react to good laughter, like not just smiling or laughing a little, but like Big gut laughing. Right. Yes. And what laughter can do for you to change your mood. But like, I don't know what the stat might be, but I got to imagine if I, if I don't have a good laugh a couple of times a week, you know, like I can tell. Right. That like just things just sort of like, you know, stay down. They don't stay like super happy, but laughter is interesting to, to consider for how it impacts your mind. Yep. So again, like we talked about sort of the uncertainty, you know, the structure, like create your own structure for the day. This is why, you know, it's really important even with kids. And I would say sort of external structure helps support in the lack of internal structure. So feeling more sort of discombobulated or sort of at the mercy of my emotions, that's where like having some sort of consistency or going, this is what I do. I chunk my days or I do this at the same time each day. It helps me sort of manage how I feel more effectively. Well, especially when you have uncertainty, that begins to enable certainty. You you control your own level of certainty. Yep, exactly. Uh, If I can't control the world, then I can at least control how I move through the world. Exactly. On a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and and putting in like sort of – I like to think of it like braiding in different strands that help you, you know – feel better that are stress reducing. I think one of the big things, if people can, you know, get outside, you know, I see this a lot in the Pacific Northwest, especially during fall and winter when it's a little gloomier and rainier and going, it's still so important to get outside because part of the negative mood is like, you're just inside, inside. And so figuring out ways to do that safely, right? You do not have to go into a significant public setting in order to do that. But you know, in what way can you sort of connect with nature and just be out of your, the four walls of your home, mm-hmm. right? And of course, managing screen time, right? Do the things that actually help you feel better, not the things that hinder you or create more mental flare-ups. Yeah. I think of it like, what is it that's stealing my time? What is it that's stealing my thoughts, you know? less on the, it's sort of the anti-distraction. So it's not so much what's distracting me, but more like what is taking, literally stealing, taking 
my time, taking my attention, taking my thoughts. And it could be screen time. It could be other things we're talking about too. But in regards to screen time, it happens far more often than than we'd like. And we, we're just so used to having this phone in our pocket or this device with us that it's normal to just use it as a portion of coping. You know, I don't want to go to sleep right now or I'm stressed out so I can't fall asleep right away. Let me look at Instagram. Let me look at Twitter. Let me look at or, or listen to my favorite podcast, which, hey, if that's this show, then keep listening. But, you know, if it's other shows, just turn them right off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just kidding around. But, you know, being mindful of like what is it that's like taking these things from you. Mm-hmm. Again, back to what you're optimizing for. If you're optimizing for I want to get to sleep at a decent time, then well, what's stealing that opportunity from you? Yep. So similarly, I think about this like distract and redirect, right? Engaging in activities that benefit you, bring joy and distract you from existing challenges. So, you know, you can do meditation, yoga, journaling, art projects. I mean, any and many things, right? One of the things that I have done recently, which is I I read a lot, not surprising, but I tend to read a lot of nonfiction. In fact, Yes, that's what I read. And so with everything going on, I've actually picked out some fictional books that, you know, I I don't read in the same sort of way, but it really just helps sort of disengage my brain and distracts me from all the other things and lets me, it's not on a screen, right? So it has other benefits that bring me back to just another joy and it's something I can do in different settings that, that calm me down. So the other thing, like I always talk about, move more, right? Exercise helps with our emotions. And I've talked about the way that it affects different neurotransmitters. But one of the things that is interesting is that when we're not moving, you can be more apt to sort of gain a little bit, you know, around the middle. And that our immune cells actually tend to hang out more in that excess belly fat, which increases inflammation, and so really, it's inflammation that's the primary driver in feeling fatigued. That changes how we think and sleep and can also contribute to, you know, not engaging in other pleasurable activities that um, could help us in other ways, right? Yeah. I would encourage our audience to examine on your own. We may cover it more deeply with an expert at some point, but inflammation is a big thing that happens medically. That uh, is just really, really interesting. So I would encourage you just like to find your own resources on it. We may put some in the show notes, but inflammation alone is really interesting in terms of how it negatively affects you in many, many ways. So it may seem simple and, you know, curable with ibuprofen or something like that, but like inflammation is a big deal. Yep. Yep. And so get creative in terms of ways that you can stay connected. I know other people who've done book clubs or sort of different workout challenges. You know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> like any and other ways that sort of facilitate connection, like go for it. Mm-hmm. I experienced this recently. Me and my buddy recently reconnected to go for a night ride. Oh, really? Mountain biking. And so it's been so hot here. So I live in Houston. It's pretty hot here. And it's so hot, like, during the day, like, you'd have to go at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning to get a decent ride and that was enjoyable that wasn't, like, 95-plus, 93-plus degree weather. I-, I love this area, but this time of year, it's just really hot and humid for, like, two months. And so our summer's, like, really, really hot sometimes. So a night ride was the solution. So we did a night ride, 
And it was so awesome. Like we had obviously lights on our helmets and lights on our bikes and stuff like that. So it was great, but it was just as good as riding during the day. And I'm so happy we did that because, well, now we have an outlet, even though it's hot, we can get a ride in and it's social and yep. we had fun doing it. It's movement. It's reconnection with friends. Like, you know, like I didn't realize how much I needed it until I did it. Mm-hmm. And then I reaped the benefits of it. Like, okay, I'm, I definitely have a new attitude towards this week because I had that moment. Yeah. And then all of these are, you know, been more behaviors and whatnot, but we got to go back to the body basics and thinking about what you intake, right? What are you eating and how are you sleeping? Because those are significant things that regulate your body. And we know this, right? Sleep, Sleep is really our brain's sort of opportunity to sort, filter, defrag. I mean, it's, it's ironically a busy time, but it is so necessary for our body and our brains to be able to heal and sort of get recalibrated. Mm-hmm. I don't know the, the deeper details of this, but we use a lot of glucose during sleep. That uh, if you have, like if you're glucose deficient or if you have low, like you might wake up in the middle of the night and do different stuff. We'll have to link to some some additional stuff, but I did hear that recently that like in the nighttime, like with sleep, for, for example... Or, you know, was it uh, REM sleep and whatnot? Like, it requires a lot of extra energy, more than you think. That's why you burn a lot of fat even while you're sleeping because it's so energetic. Yeah, you're spot on. There's been a number of researchers. I want to say Matthew Walker and Michael Bruce are both some leading researchers, sort of clinicians relative to sleep and how busy, like, our brains and our bodies are during that time. So, like many other aspects, no one of you know the medical field, we haven't been able to put all of the pieces together yet. But it's so important for us to be able to regulate our brains, our moods, our bodies, you know, with that. And so, I don't want to leave people hanging too. In terms of just other resources, I always think that's super important because if you didn't know that something was there, you don't have access to utilize it. And so bear in mind, there is always, you know, the National Alliance on Mental Health called NAMI. There's SAMHSA, which stands for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration for resources, especially during this time. And there's always the American Psychological Association Psychological Association and the American Psychiatric Association, which, you know, are here in the U.S. So that people can go, hey, you know, what's going on? How am I managing things? What other things are available to me in my community? Those are great places to start. So much of what we focus on within this podcast is really being our own scientist, right? And so as we move on from what we hear today, I'd encourage each one of you to sort of look at one area of your sort of life that you find to be stressful and go, what tips, what things, how do I focus on changing this so that I allow my body to move more in the sense that I don't get stuck in the one gear of stress and perceiving that there's always danger lurking behind the corner because that is no way to really enjoy my life. It's definitely not a way that I want to live for a prolonged period of time. And I'd encourage you to find someone else because that's just it. Like when we learn and grow, we can encourage others to do the same. And so 
reach out and see if someone else wants to join you in challenging yourself to grow and manage your own stress differently. That's it for this episode of Brain Science. Thank you so much for tuning in. We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts at changelaw.com slash brainscience slash 30. Comment on this show. They're always open. And if you're new and you haven't subscribed yet, check us out at changelaw.com slash brainscience. You can subscribe there. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Spotify. You can go to Overcast. You can go anywhere you can get podcasts. And huge thanks to our partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode for getting our back. Also, huge thanks to our Beats Master in Residence, Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks again for tuning in this week. We'll see you next week.